Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. Welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Thank you. I am so happy to be here today. How are you? Doing well. Looking forward to counting down more songs. This is the penultimate, right? I'm saying this correct because we have one more episode before we complete 1984. This is the penultimate episode, exactly as you said, of our countdown of the top 106.7 songs, K-Rock in 1984. So this is number 20 to number 11. And we are looking at each and every one of them going through them and just having a, a great time. And this week, we've got a special guest, as always, a special guest for Holly, because it's a good friend. And please tell us who is stepping into our virtual studios this week. I feel like we should have our applause sound effects, but we welcome back Dan McGrath, who is just as passionate about this kind of music as we are. And Dan has done quite a few things over the course of his life in the music and radio industry, which is how I know him and how we became friends. Our uh, listeners may know him most notably. He co-wrote the theme song to the TV show Dancing with the Stars or Strictly Come Dancing in the UK. We are so happy to have Dan back on the podcast. He's a fun guest. He always has great stories and uh, knows a lot about the music. So welcome back, Dan. Ricky Gervais said... um... I used to be the only one with a podcast, and now I'm the only one without a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to talk rock and roll? Yeah. <laughs> well, then, okay, so then let's start talking music. We're going we're gonna to do songs 20 to 11. This is, uh, Dan has requested these songs. We gave him the, uh, we showed the 106.7 songs. He's like, this is my chunk. I want these songs. This is it. Okay, wait, first of all, welcome, Dan. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I'm 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 honored and flattered. Yeah. We've been waiting for an excuse to have oh, you back. Were, were you struggling for decent guests and now yeah. <laughs> Quick, get him on the line. Get him in. <laughs> no, you're officially a friend of the show, so that's uh that's that's almost like being cool. a sir. I don't know what I, we refer I, <laughs> how we refer to you I, now. My initial caveat is with this list, I'm not sure that I did I choose it? directly holly i can't remember because i think because west end girls was in there and any excuse to listen to that track i will i'll go for it because interestingly See, this is well, this has been a really this has been a really cool thing to do because there's a good chunk as we will find out of music in here that i either wasn't aware of or kind of knew but never really bothered with because they didn't hit over here they didn't land so well so it was quite interesting to to yeah to kind of 
go through these songs and go, I didn't know this and it's shit or I didn't know this and isn't it great, you know? And um, I've got to say, uh, Cowpunk, what a tune. <laughs> Love it. All right, we're Fantastic. gonna we're gonna get to that. Patience, my friend. No, I felt like this was a strategic move for you in choosing this chunk because you you choose it for West End Girls. You get the bonus of you know one other of your favorite artists. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Anything in the eighties, we're going to stumble across stuff that we've got stuff to talk about. So it's been great. We found in every ten song chunk, there's always been one or two songs that we had completely forgot about or that our guest has never even heard before. So we're up to the top practically, and yet there are a lot of songs that we will discuss later that haven't been touched on in probably a long time. Number twenty song is not the case. This is "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" by Wham exclamation mark how do you feel about uh, wake me up before you go go uh, in uh, the year 2021 do you know what it's a funny it's a funny track isn't it because as a huge george michael fan massive george michael fan and obviously that bleeds into liking wham and being you know a wham fan you know they obviously they were kind of a novelty act in a way i don't you know when they first hit the scene I kind of felt like they were a novelty act to me. I think I'll probably because it, I mean, certainly with a track like this, with that, you know, that retro style, that retro style they went for. At that time, I'm trying to think in 84, you know, if I was listening to Metal Clanging Depeche Mode, when this came out, I was probably like, really? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so how did you, so that's what you, that's your recollection of how you felt about it then? I think so. I think, yeah, because... Uh, you know, there there are some great, great Wham songs. I wouldn't say this was this was it or one of them, but it, it but still, you've still got to kind of hold it up as a fantastic '80s tune, as one of those sort of touchstone '80s songs, I guess. So seeing this video and, you know, two actually really good looking guys dancing around and goofing off and, you know, was that something like, oh, okay, this is, this is something not for me. This is something for a younger generation perhaps, or was it like you recognized, oh, okay, there, there's something here. I think you're probably right. Maybe by the time I'm hitting 18, you know, the, the, the pop charts and maybe it's probably still the case. It's certainly on top of the pops back in 1984, which was the, you know, the go-to Thursday night T-shirt where this would have popped up and we would have all watched it. Those top pop songs were all aimed at 14-year-olds, 14, 15-year-olds, weren't they? And younger. So maybe at that point I was getting more cynical. (laughs) You know, and listening to, and as I say, listening to kind of dark, more dark sort of, uh, you know, industrial music as we'll, as we'll come to. Yeah. So, and you know, don't get me wrong. When I hear it now, I love it. And I, and I think they, what they, what George was brilliant at was they were, they, you know, they were their remit. Funny enough, my son bought me a book, the, the, the Andrew Ridgely book, Wham, hmm. George and me. And I, I literally only got about two pages in. 
And I think I, I recollect Andrew saying, you know, the remit was just to be unashamedly pos- positive and poppy. That was what we went to. And, you know, the name of the band, for God's sake, you know. <laughs> and I think they knew what they were doing. And George, you know, probably like Adam Ant in his t- and his time, knew exactly what he was doing from a PR point of view and from a from a brand perspective, you know. Now, whether they would, whether they thought that hard about it, I think George probably did. Have you know, when you look at how George shaped everything he did with a fine tooth comb, if that's the right phrase, um, you know, I think it was really, really interesting that they did that. I think you know, probably sat and although you know, we'll probably find out there was the label that turned around and went, "You better release that song, not that song," which is, seems to be the case half the time. So you're saying you you think he specifically chose the dolphin shorts for the, uh, you know, the shorts that he was wearing in the video? (laughs) Well, and at that point, we didn't know who he was appealing to, did we? (laughs) All I knew was that it was appealing to me. And that's really all that mattered when I was 19 years old. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And that hair. I mean, you know, who's not loving that hair? Okay. And I'm going to say something probably totally inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) For the time, for the current time. So George Michael, who, you know, we we all love for, you know, many reasons. Andrew Ridgely, who was obviously an integral part of Wham! If you (laughs) took George, the visual of George away, Andrew Ridgely was cute. Girls would have gone gaga for him, too. They did. They they did, but not not so much. I mean, George Michael was kind of it for, well, it's it's like all duos. There's always, you know, there's the dream. You got your hall and then you got your oats. So, you know, you gotta, there's, a, there's always a yin and a yang. You want to ask Dan the question about <laughs> the his, qu- uh, his favorite well, duos? Well, there's so many duos. Do you have a favorite duo? I know, uh, you know, there, there's a lot out there. What do you like? Well, there's a couple of things. It's funny when you, I saw you, I, you know, saw your question and I thought, it's funny. I never, weirdly, I didn't think of Wham as a duo because you had Pepsi and Shirley in there as well. So. Yeah. On stage, there was always four of them turning up, you know. And it's funny because George then just became George, didn't he? And mm. everything else went into the background almost with the greatest respect to the, to the other guys. So I, I never really felt like they were a duo, weirdly. But I had, a, I had an idea with a friend of mine a few years back. He said, we should go out and we should form a band, just the two of us. And we'll call it like Master and Servant or something like that. <laughs> and it's I'll just do songs by, you know, Yazoo, OMD, Pet Shop Boys, all of it. Just do duos. Just, just do that. Because you could probably find a massive, you can mine a massive amount of songs. Tears for Fears, you know. I love this uh, idea. Of, of great duos. I guess if you're asking me what's the greatest duo, I don't know. It's like, and it's like, what's the best song? You know, it depends what mood you're in. I, I'm absolutely adore tears for fears and funny enough discovered a lot of his stuff more recent stuff that i haven't really bothered to listen to over the years and i sort of dropped back into it and he's just done a podcast called the rock on tours which is fantastic mm-hmm. uh, is, roland's wh- just done that oh and, okay um, this is roland you're talking about it's great to hear him not kurt roland also about yeah Ro- you know roland was the kind of driving force initially in, in the you know in those salad days and, and you know and Roland freely admits that for him it was my way or the highway and I think <laughs> Kurt plainly was happy to to kind of let him be him so yeah you know but then Hall and Oates what can you know you've got to say that, that you know that again there's no contest if you're talking Hall and Oates but it's an entirely different genre so you get to pick one for me that would be my, <laughs> my speed pick it, one for me genre I mean what about Pet Shop Boys yeah absolutely but it is funny. There's always one front person and one person who kind of takes one step back, but they're still the George yeah. and then the Andrew. Yeah, I mean, White Stripes, same thing. Yeah. There was there was always like 
front person and someone who's kind of in the background. We still put them on oh, the cover. <laughs> They'll still be on the cover. But I never thought of Wham! as a four-piece because, you know, the girls were never on the cover. They were never featured at all, except in the videos. They were never official Wham! members, though, right? We'll have to get Andrew you know, in think you're right. you know, when we talk yeah. to Andrew. And, and why did you only get through three pages, or did you give up after? Or, no too busy one of the the things i always say my new year's resolution is always to read more and i never do it and one of the things i did and i'm going to do it i'm i have i've got a fucking stack of books um it's simply that i just haven't been i i've i've got got into i've got back into watching box sets and netflix and tv Mm -hmm. because I um I freely admit I'm a video I love playing video games I'm a huge video games fan uh, and I ended up getting my PlayStation about a month ago maybe six weeks ago and I wiped it I I hit delete on everything I hit do you want to reset this PlayStation and I said yes I did it was like a death in the family and I got it and I wiped it and I got all the controllers and, and I put them all in a box and they're outside my studio out here because. I thought I've got to read more and I've got to uh, <laughs> get back into kind of following up all those things. When you talk to people, they say, are you watching your honor? Are you watching, you know, <laughs> Sopranos? So I'm doing that at the moment. So the book readings go to the side, but I will read the Wham book. I really want to, because it will be interesting to hear it from Andrew's side as well. I think, you know, mm-hmm. purely for that, for that, it's always interesting to hear the, Having having been a sidekick myself, uh, it, that's always an interesting side. Okay, wait. Can we just go back to Master <laughs> and Servant for a minute? Not the song, but the duo. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that would have been a great uh, pandemic project. You could have done. You could have developed a whole Zoom following and then taken it on the road when it's over. <laughs> Seriously, that's very, that's very true. I it, I wanted to do it with this friend of mine called Rob, who's also a complete utter eighties electronica nut and a synth nut and i said i want him he's tall he's like six foot five or something <laughs> and he's a, he, he's a statuesque dude and i said it'd be great you stood at the back with a big leather coat on with your synth <laughs> and i'll be down the front grooving away like i'm still 19 <laughs> i thought it would be such a cool thing to do and you just call it master and stuff and you and you literally just you plunder all those duos all those synth i mean it could be synth duos as well because you've got erasure and yazoo and all those other you know all that all the kind of vince clark stuff you know i'll be at the front of the yeah. stage i'll be the, the, the that's <laughs> there you go there's your you know fuck yeah. anything else you were planning on doing after this all right trademark <laughs> there you go it's happening <laughs> when we do 1985 i am going to ask you about andrew ridgely book so uh make sure to read it and okay by 2022 <laughs> sometime over because the- <laughs> we will discuss it okay uh let's move on to number 19 in excess original sin holly has a soft spot for in excess what do you think about this song how does this hold up for you First and foremost, have you seen the, the the Michael Hutchins documentary? Did that make? Did they play it out in the states? It was on yes, about three years ago. Yeah, I haven't seen that Something one yet. Like that. Holly, she always promises uh, to see yeah. things, and yet never gets very to busy. it. I mean, She's very busy. I know. He just comes across as such a, a great bloke and a real kind of genuine guy, and a real and like all these tortured souls, somebody that needed to be held and nurtured and looked after properly and. You know, and it's a great, it's a, well, it, it's not a, I was, you know, it's a brilliant documentary with a heartbreaking ending, mm-hmm. but wow, did he, did he go out with some great women? We must all, <laughs> remind, we get reminded of that. 
there's a lovely sequence of him on the Orient Express with Kylie Minogue. <laughs> Fucking hell, Michael. But he was so sexy. <laughs> That's your what royal couple. Guy. That's the, yeah, the Australian oh, royal wow. couple then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last time I spoke to you guys, we'd rattled through me meeting people, which seemed to be something <laughs> that I did a lot in my career. And he came on a show in, the, in 1992, 93, I think it was, called The Big Breakfast, um, which is where he met Paulie Yates. And we all watched them flirting outrageously on the bed during this interview that they, there was a, like a bed in this, yeah. in this house. That, yeah. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't interview people out of bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that was the whole point of it. It was always Paula on a bed with her guest, you know, from, from Miss Piggy to Michael Hutchins, it was anybody. And it was always on in a bed, you know, cause of the breakfast show thing and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and, that, and she, she, she flirted outrageous with him on outrageously on with him on that. And then obviously the rest is history with those two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But weirdly, this song didn't really hit in the UK. It didn't really make a dent. I know of it and knew of it and listened to it and went, yeah, yeah, I, kn- I know that track. Kick was the album that launched them in the UK, really. Yeah. You know, with Need You Tonight, New Sensation, Never Tear Us Apart, what a song. So this was kind of one of those songs that I think was you guys had kind of, you know, found them a little bit sooner than us, I think. Huh. <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that? yeah, it's because of K-Rock. Like you mentioned, it took them uh, a couple albums before they found their way. And this was kind of just kind of a launching song for them. Yeah. Like, all right, they're starting to find their groove right about now. You might know of the original sin. You might know how to play with fire. And Kick was like 87, wasn't it? I think yeah. so. They were in waiting for us. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we just didn't have the... I'm trying to think when MTV was doing its thing in the UK, you know, and to, to kind of get these bands launched and get them, you know, get them into our... into up in front of us. Interestingly, I think with some a lot of these songs on this playlist as well, the sound of them is... There's an Americanness to the sound of the tracks that hit in America mm-hmm. that when you... Yeah. You know, when you listen to the UK stuff, we we wanted it more edgy and more in your face because, you know, you listen to Original Sin and it's got a kind of rolling kind of groove. And, you know, it's it hasn't got the punch of of Need You Tonight or New Sensation of those tracks. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, we we needed our Daryl Hall and we needed our sax solo in in songs for it to be a hit. (laughs) But this was a Nile Rodgers. Nile Rodgers produced this song. Yeah. How cool has your life got to be that you can phone up Daryl Hall and ask him to come in and sing on the song? <laughs> right? Hey, Daryl, how cool is that? Why, what a great life that is, you know? Daryl Hall was also on the uh, Elvis Costello song for The Only Flame in Town. Yeah. Daryl Hall was also on vocal background vocals. He's actually right. in the video for that, too. How is he? Yeah. So fun. And why wouldn't you? What a vocalist. Right? What a singer. Oh, just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. One of the reviews in New Musical Express, which is the UK, you know, music magazine in 84, that said, I wrote it down, it said, In Excess was described in the New Musical Express as a depressingly definitive example of excruciating, boring, incredibly unimaginative MTV rock. 
That's how awful the British press were about NXS on that song. Who it's are usually cr- so kind and generous, yeah. the British press. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, harsh, but then, you know, I mean. It's always black and white with them. So you always know yeah. if you get like a horrible review, like, oh, I might need to listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> I know. but And back in the day, we had to rely on the press. You know, we couldn't because, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to pay uh, an 84. I don't know how an album was uh, 10, 10 bucks for, uh, you know, like just to to listen to a whole thing. Like, okay, all right. If it's got a bad review, I I don't think I'm going to invest in this. What what was your strategy when you when you went to a record store? Did you have a game plan or was it uh, (laughs) or or did you did you talk to the guy? What was how is uh, how'd you discover new music? Somebody said this, I think it was on Twitter quite recently said, do you remember back in the day we would buy music we didn't like because you'd buy an album knowing maybe two tracks off it or the <laughs> single off it. And then you'd have another eight or nine songs. Yeah. You had no idea what they were going to be. You go home and so you go, you what had, the fuck is this? <laughs> you'd have to invest three, four, five days or weeks or whatever it was of your life to try and get into it. Cause you didn't <laughs> want to waste your money. And also, you know, if it was an artist you liked, you're going, I'm going to, you know, connect with this. If it kills me, yeah. I'm going to like um, this regardless. Yeah, I don't, I, I, funnily enough, I don't have a sh- massive amount of vinyl. So I plainly was, because I don't kind of remember, I bought stuff on recommendation when I was very young. I, mean, I think the first song I bought was Starman by David Bowie when I was seven, but that was like, I'd heard it on the radio and my mum took me down to HMV in Putney and I handed over my money and was given this seven inch single. <laughs> and, but then as far as like albums are concerned, I play, I obviously was really conservative about it and didn't splash my cash and go crazy i did i think i probably recorded more off the radio <laughs> on cassette you know so i've got a it's funny but I, I think like anything i think i probably knew the hit i'm gonna buy that and if i and i had to get the 12 inch if the 12 inch was out i would buy the 12 inch before i buy the seven inch if i could because because i knew then i'd be getting you know an extended mix so you're getting longer something longer to listen to more if it was something money. i liked but I, yeah, did I talk to the guy or girl? I don't know. Sometimes I remember getting a Thomas Dolby album recommended to me. I went in and was talking to the guy and he said, have you, this has just come out. And I was like, oh, I didn't know it had come out. And he's like, yeah, you know, listen. And that was that recommendation. But I probably like everybody just chanced it, you know? Dave, you probably did some very, very thorough research. I, I try. Yes. Cause you know, <laughs> you're making, you know, three fifty, four bucks uh, an hour and you know, plus tax. So it was like three hours of work to afford an album. Rode my bike to the licorice pizza and like, uh, and was like, I had to give it some deep, deep thought, especially when you're, you're trying to, I was also discovering classic rock and like, Oh, should I, should I buy a catalog record or something? You know, I didn't call it catalog or should I? Or should I buy the you know this new record that I'm kind of excited about? Or yeah, so it's it was tough to decide what to get because I only can buy one or maybe two if I wanted to splurge. Would you go in and would either of you go in and get the headphones out and ask them to you know put things on? You go in the booth and stuff or whatever, or get them to put something on? I don't think they had booth where we were. They didn't have booths. They did. Some of them started to a little bit later, but I would never ask anybody for help because I'm just <laughs> not that way. But when they were totally set up, I would go in and listen. I, I can't remember which yeah. ones had those. If it was like it wasn't until CDs came out where they had the like at Virgin Music. I remember you can they had the, yeah. those listening. Oh yeah, booths. but yeah, it, it felt like you were. I, I don't know. You you had to ask the front <laughs> the the guys at the front if they would play this record while you while you perused and be ready for them to judge your musical taste. Right. <laughs> That's well, the other thing. Well, that right. You kind I of counted on that. I want to hear this album and them them looking down their noses at you. You know, <laughs> really? 
and feeling validated when it was something. Ah, oh, good choice. Yeah. 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 It's the high fidelity. High fidelity. Are you talking about Aria Speedwagon? No, I'm talking about. Or listening uh, in high fidelity. I'm talking about, no, it's I'm talking about fine. Nick Hornsby and, uh, and, oh, yeah. jo- and John Cusack. And, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. What a tune. Yeah. <laughs> That was high infidelity was the Aria Speedwagon. <laughs> we are talking with Dan McGrath and having a great time. We're going to take a break, though. Maybe have a biscuit. Want to have a biscuit, Holly? Maybe some tea. Biscuit and tea. We're going to have a biscuit and tea and be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Dan McGrath. This is a, this was in LA. We're moving on to number 18. This is a band called The Untouchables. This is actually the second song on this chart, uh, an LA band that K-Rock uh, liked to promote, mm-hmm. uh, and it's Ska. The song is called What's Gone Wrong. I, I am almost 100% sure that you had never heard of this, this band or this song, but this was something that was churned out in LA. I thought it was a big hit. I actually, I remember actually, I think I found it in the used record section. So I do remember buying it because I like Ska. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this might be the next, uh, next thing after the specials and, you know, madness and things like that. But, uh, what do yeah. you think? As a, were you a ska guy? What uh, and what's what's your opinion now of this? So yeah, the the kind of two tone era for us for in the UK hit in sort of was it seventy nine? It was post punk, and then it it was like across the end of the seventies, start of the eighties, wasn't it? And there must have been a couple of years when two tone the label. I had a friend that uh, made it his remit to buy every single release by the two tone label for one year. <laughs> I wow. think he still got them some. Nice. Yeah. Everything that came out, he bought it and had it all. There was a shop in Clapham, which was in South London called Thrifts. And it was like dead guys clothes. So it was old suits and old coats and stuff like that. 
And as you say, as students, we had no money, but you could go in there and get a two-tone suit for like, I don't know, not much money. So me and my mate John went in there and bought two-tone suits and you could get tonic jackets, you know, so the, 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 the shimmery, you know, cloth. And then I had, yeah, I had loafers, I had brown loafers. Didn't never wore a pork pie hat. That was a bit too much. <laughs> but yeah, Fred Perry, that kind of stuff. And went th- I went through a real, ca- a rude boy stage, as they called them. Yeah. Interesting, the, the what's gone wrong thing, I was aware of it. I knew it. When I put it on, I was like, yeah, I remember this. But they did better with a track called Free Yourself. That was a much bigger hit in the UK. And that was 85. It got to number 26. But funny enough, so I put on Free Yourself as well when I was listening to all these. I'll have a quick listen to Free Yourself to remind me. Remind me. And it sounds like a demo. It's so funny compared <laughs> yeah. to the production quality of even, you know, even into the into the later 80s and 90s. But like if you listen to it compared to modern music, it sounds like they've just thrown this demo together to get to 26 with a demo. Not bad. And they had I Spy with the is it I Spy for the FBI, which was another kind of slight hit for them here but what's gone wrong didn't really happen i think it was like you say 84 so it was like i free yourself and i think i taped it off the radio because i thought i had the vinyl of free yourself but i couldn't find it so i must have taped it off the radio but i absolutely when i saw the untouchables come up on the list i was like oh yeah i remember them oh that's wow I, but they went not here. for that not for that track and i wrote i wrote here soft scar again i think you know it was very post when the scar thing hit in the uk it was that fast post-punk special selector mm-hmm. the beat and all the tracks were a insane speed and you know and, and uh, you know that that brilliant brilliant jumped up hyped up reggae scar sound you know whether that's what we didn't why we didn't like what's gone wrong i don't know or maybe it was just a timing thing maybe because they're an la band they were doing better promotion out there I read this when I was looking at it because I didn't even remember the song until I listened to it, but that they were the house band at the Roxy in 1982. Did you, did you oh, see that? Wow. Oh, that's nice. I, yeah. I didn't remember that either. <laughs> that's funny. But you, and you did touch upon something like, you know, where we're deciding what to buy record labels were a huge influence. Yeah. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is on this label. This is on that label. Like I, in LA, like the, the label slash, um, mm-hmm. I like if if a band was on there or SST, like okay, this might be worth looking into, <laughs> and, and of course the same with two tone, like oh okay, this is going to yeah. be good stuff. Absolutely, yeah. We and we had things like Stiff and Mute, because you know Depeche Mode were on Mute, so I was always looking. Oh, well, it's a Mute act, you know. I'd be interested because if Daniel Miller likes them, then I'm probably going to like them. You know? So <laughs> you're right, actually, they like stables, weren't they? They were like you could you you liked what came out of that stable. You know, I met, I was right. I'd put here the. By 84, it was only probably Madness that had survived by that point for us from that kind of era, you know, because the specials, the beat selector, they were all kind of done from a pop point of view, mm-hmm. whereas Madness were different because Madness, although they they launched on the back of that world of reggae, ska, the songwriting was much more sophisticated and 
you know, they and they they were much more of a chameleon act. They they changed and and you know crossed over in their own way. They also have a book out, Madness. Uh, that maybe you could put that on your list of uh, <laughs> <laughs> not another one. Things. Yeah, I know. No more. <laughs> Let's keep moving. All right, we got Susie and the Banshees, Dazzle. Now this is, I mean, this starts off like a such an epic song like something something exciting is going to happen you know you add your your strings and uh just kind of mystery to it and then Susie kicks in i i i just uh am dazzled by this song uh still to this day i i think i played it uh yeah i played this a number of times in in the past couple of weeks just because uh, just i was reminded of how wonderful it is do you feel the same way it's yeah i mean it's so evocative isn't it it's so it's got so much kind of it i mean it's that you when you hear florence and the machine you go okay that's where they 100 percent. yeah i thought the same thing yeah you know they, that's, that's a great comparison they, And even like the elbow track, one day like this, you know, you those, those sort of big strings. It's like that was, uh, you know, it was that wonderful epic sound at the start of that. But the other thing I thought was interesting was the the actual production of it. Again, when you listen to these songs up against modern production, they're, okay. um, um, you know, they're, they're probably looking for that kind of wall of sound when they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I wrote down Mike Hedges produced it, who who was like who produced the Cure and Bauhaus and U two and Manix later on. But the sound of thought, it's funny when you listen to it, it's, it's so, there's no definition to it. It's such this kind of watery sound that maybe that's what they wanted. They wanted that mm. ethereal feel to it or something. That's a really good description, actually, because I couldn't also, it is, it's just, it's, it's sound, but it's musical. You know, it's, it's, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. That's good. This was also co-written by uh, Robert Smith of yeah. The Cure. Which we always have to say, Robert Smith of The Cure. Because <laughs> you wouldn't know who it was if right. you didn't mention the band that he's he associated with. Yeah, always. <laughs> so where is she now? You asked. I honestly don't know. I, I was looking. I mean, she did. Um, she did this one-off for the Hannibal soundtrack in 2015. The last time she played was at the Meltdown Fest uh, around that same time, 2013. So um, I think she's just. Uh, I don't know. Just enjoying life, and uh, you know. Why not? <laughs> More power to her. She hasn't been inspired. Did you watch it? Have you seen Hannibal? Did you ever watch that TV show? I know you don't watch no, TV shows. You're no. not. You're not a TV guy. <laughs> I'm trying to be. The showrunner for this show was a huge Susie fan, and he just happened to approach. I guess he knew someone who knew someone. Like, can you get Susie to do this? And it turns out she was a huge fan of this show. Uh, and she's like, "All right, yeah, sure, we'll try it." Your eyes. So 
that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, she's just got to get inspired. You got to inspire her. Give her a project to, you know. Maybe maybe it's part of maybe part of master and servant or something. Maybe she can do something. <laughs> All right. So come back, Susie. We need you. The world needs you. <laughs> Let's move on to number 16. This band, DePici Mode. <laughs> I don't know. This is the uh, aforementioned master and servant. Depeche Mode. Were you full on at this time? Like this is I'm all in on Depeche Mode or did it take some some more convincing? I mean, I was all in from speaking spell. So I was buying everything and anything they did. I know you put in your, you put, it's a lot. Let's just move on. Because <laughs> it's interesting listening to these track, the two Depeche Mode tracks that are in this list, because the sound of them, which was driven by Alan Wilder, the thing you can't, we've got to never underestimate is what Alan Wilder did for that band during his time with it all those samples and all those sounds and all that kind of sound design was a lot of it was him and actually when you listen back it there's it's funny real mixed emotions about it because i remember at the time really loving listening to what they were putting out and friends were listening to stuff like daff and some of those other mad kind of metal clanging angle grinder on stage Einer Steunenneuze, German <laughs> named long, you know, new mm-hmm. artist. And this was the kind of pop version of that. This was all nicely put into three minutes for pop audiences, isn't it? Um, but is it their best output? No, I don't think so. I think they're great, these tracks, and I love them because they evoke and all mm-hmm. this, like anything, you know, you can listen to what is potentially a really awful, tragic piece of production or music, but it doesn't matter because at the time you were in your salad days and it meant something. It's a lot. 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 Like life. Well, you know, some of just some of the kind of awful vocals and sounds and stuff. You go, it, you know, if this was put out now, people go, "The fuck is that song?" <laughs> Wouldn't that? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, it's like, what are they doing? They're trying to sound like fucking Queen. You make it sound like Queen. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I guess. Yeah. It was like a salad. They're they're just throwing everything in. Here, I've got an idea. Great, throw it in. Throw it in. Here, here's another. What if we do this? What if we put this little uh, weird sound in? Great, throw it in there. Okay, let's let's mix it up and see what we got. Yeah, <laughs> and, and also don't forget, we were in an era in '84. Sampling synthesizers were now becoming available to everybody and anybody because a lot of this stuff was done on. I think it was on the, like the emulator and the Emacs. The the, the a company called Emu, I think it was an Australian synth company, mm. were creating synth samplers that people could afford. I, I think I'm getting this right. Because prior to that, you had kind of Trevor Horn and people who had lots of money buying the Fairlight, but this stuff was a bit more, you could lift it onto a stage and tour with it. So that, as you rightly say, Dave, they were obviously throwing things at walls and recording it and putting it into the synth and playing it back in the same way that 
we will hear when we get to one of the other tracks on here. <laughs> the next one, the amount of sampling that's, and the amount of re-triggered samples in the track is beyond belief. Let's move on to number 15. This was also kind of a remix song in us. The Eurythmics were also experimenting. And this was this song, Sex Crime, 1984. They were also doing a lot of different things in this and uh, kind of doing some studio tricks that were state of the art in 1984. I don't know if it holds up or, you know, like some of this stuff, you know, the robotic voice and repeating of, you know, of vocals over and over and over. <laughs> crime, crime. Right, crime. right. Yeah. They, what, what was the guy's? Dated. What was the, oh, Max Headroom, that, that, that type of, uh, yeah, that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's not this. That was like kitschy. This is just, you know, a product of the times. It, yes, of course. It's eurythmic, so it's, it's wonderful. But uh, production wise, I, I don't know how well it's aged. I think you're right. I think it's dated it terribly with the amount of key hitting they've, you know, they've obviously, as you say, gone, this is really cool, isn't it? You know, and <laughs> kept on, kept on doing it. And, and of course, don't forget, he's got a vocoder in there as well, which although the vocoders have been around for ages, cause ELO had, you know, Jeff Lynn was using vocoders on, on those albums. Mm-hmm. You know, all that 1984, <laughs> he was throwing the sink at it, didn't he? As far as tech toys. It sounds futuristic when you say it, right? When you say it in it, the vocoder. It sounds futuristic. <laughs> It sounds future, and that, but that again, that might have been part of the whole notion of it because it was to do with the yes. movie, and you know, so they obviously said, "Well, let's try and make it sound futuristic." And what is futuristic? Well, sampling it. So you're, you know, they they must have had one eye on the fact that it was overkill mm. for that reason that it, that it should it needed to sound synthetic and edgy or whatever. what you get with these um the same with like yazoo or yaz as they were called in america you've got the the clinical tech with the brilliant soulful voice mm. so you know alison moye's voice over the top of vince clark's phenomenally quantized electronics and it's game same with erasure but then again with his i mean annie what a voice she has so dave could do all that technology underneath her and it still sounded brilliantly well you know it, it sounded like rock music yeah. she had such a great voice and Holly is a huge Eurythmic <laughs> fan. What do you think? You know, I hadn't listened to the song. I, I didn't even remember the song until, you know, coming upon it in this. Mm-hmm. I loved this song at the time. And I love her. But everything about them was, you know, you're you're just transfixed watching her, you know. And since you're attaching the video, I'm always watching the video with the song, not just listening for the song. So seeing her and just... She can do no wrong. Yes, I like this song. And and this song, it actually, even with the dated, all the things you're talking about, to me, it's, I don't know if I can say it stood the test of time, but it's... 
it was fun re- to listen to again. It was released as a single, but it uh, only made mm-hmm. it up to number 81 in the yeah. U.S. I don't know how well it did in the U.K., but uh, this was I, 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 not a big hit. Four. It went higher. I think it was better. Number four in the U.K. Yeah, it did. It did, oh, it did pretty oh, really? well. Wow. Yeah, they were flying in 84, I would have thought so. Their next single would be Would I Lie to You? So, you know, Eurythmics had still a lot more to offer. <laughs> this, Yeah, this I was kind of a challenge thing- to them. Do you yeah. like doing, like, have you scored for movies? You know, like like doing a Susie, like Susie did for Hannibal and Eurythmics did for 1984. Have you uh, done something like this? I'd love to be in the position like uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, where they took the yeah. social network okay. and... And did that lovely ambient electronic weird kind of, you know, when you think about that thing, that, that, that music with the social, social, is it, it was called the social network, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. You wouldn't think it would work, but it worked brilliantly because it was about a tech company, obviously, but um, it was so dark and weird. And you think, well, but it's about Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. but it works so beautifully. But also I think just from a sonic point of view, I, I can't sit and score to picture. It's not, I, I don't have the ability. I don't have the chops but to kind of maybe get asked to do something that's more ambient and more kind of, you know, otherworldly. Yeah. It'd be great. Put yourself out there more, you know, (laughs) put away the game console. Yeah, I know. Come on, man. (laughs) Too much stuff to watch on the telly. (laughs) That's scored by better people than I. Number 14, the fix, less cities, more moving people. The fix were huge in 1984. And this was a song that obviously did really well on K-Rock, making it all the way up uh, into the top 20. What do we what do we think of this song? I'm guessing the fix were not as big. They were a band not as big in the UK at all. Yeah, I was aware of them. So when it came up, I thought, yeah, I know the name. But were they, were they American? They weren't Australian, were they? Were they from the States? That, that's They're funny because I always confused NXS and the fix. Yeah. Oh, I, really? I did so because like, I didn't know who was who. No, I, I they, they, they were... In 1984, it was. Uh, I had a hard time distinguishing which one was this an NXS song? Is this a fix song? So, yeah. <laughs> oh, but that's just me. I, wow. <laughs> I was trying to kind of. They felt to me like one of those bands like Bush or Wang Chung that made it huge in America, but didn't just did nothing in the UK. Were the fix? No, they were British, weren't they? That's why I think I wrote that down. And they. You know, they obviously nailed that sound that the, you guys loved and we just didn't go for it. So I was trying to think, yeah, like Wang Chung, you know, they, they just did nothing over here. But Dance All Days and all these <laughs> other couple of songs, you know, they hit, the, they hit in the States. I wrote here, you don't hear a train beat in the, chart much, in the charts much these days. It's always nice to hear a train beat, which is like that, that rolling yeah. beat that, that track has. It's a nice song, but, I, you know, again, it's funny. It's, it's yeah, I, I, had no, I had no recollection of it. Another home falls by the wayside A few old cushions stuffed with pride A hand is shaking from the rubble This is spirit still alive Serving bears is occupation Breaks his back just growing old Moving 
And Holly, in, in my notes, I made mention that it kind of reminded me of Russia's subdivision. What do you think? I would never have made that connection myself. Yes, I can see how you would say it. But this song I actually like better than, you know, their bigger hits. Yeah, it does have a like kind of a subdivisions vibe to it. The good hook. I thought the chorus was great. You know, when I started listening to it, yeah, it was a, it was a you know really a great hook to listen to. Yeah, again, this was not a single. K Rock mm-hmm. picked it up and it was played, <laughs> right? And so, right. yeah, it was kind of cool. He did have a he had a decent mullet too, Cy Kernan, by the way. Did he? Yeah. Oh, good. No, yeah. that's all right. Then. Oh, good. And he was in the Better Be Good to Me video, right, with Tina yeah. Turner. Yeah. He looked a lot like uh, Billy Zapka, circa Karate Kid in the mid '80s. Yeah. He had that foamed hair. I don't know. He had that hair going on. Molded hair. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's a good. It works. Worked in the mid '80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The okay. mullet is the mullet make seems to every now and then make a bit of a resurgence, doesn't it? When somebody like we had it recently with Joe Exotic on the on <laughs> the tiger. How do you know about Joe? You said you weren't watching TV, and yet you know Joe Exotic. Everybody everybody watched the Tiger King (laughs) on the first lockdown, didn't they? We all watched that. Yes, I was shamed um, into it. Yeah, yeah. it was horrendous and brilliant at the same time, wasn't it? Um, But one of the kids I worked with, this guy where I worked with, had had this peroxide kind of mullet. And he said, I'm really annoyed because I had this before Joe Exotic and now everybody thinks I've just done my hair for that reason. <laughs> but um, yeah, the mullet kind of comes and comes and goes, doesn't it? You know, you had the obviously in the 80s and then a little bit of Billy Ray Cyrus and stuff. And every now and then it will somebody will try and re-nail it. It's going to doesn't work. It doesn't it doesn't uh, work. Like, it you always, about, always works. No, making a <laughs> resurgence of with the business up front and party around the back. That's right. Yeah. What's your, your neck warmer? What do you call it? A neck warmer? It was, it had a lot of different. Awful hairstyle. I was a fan at the time. I was a big fan at the time. Oh, sure. She married a guy with that at the time. (laughs) I I had one of those looks. Well, and some, there were some good ones. Nick Kershaw, he had a great mullet. That was a, that was a quality mullet. I think, you know, some people did nail a good eighties, eighties. Well, and you know, of course. uh, Yeah. Simon LeBon, Andy, they, Please, great mullets at the time. Yeah. At the time. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be heading up the Bring Back the Mullet campaign. All right. <laughs> did, King make, did King make it into the U, into the US at all? Did they hit with well, Love, love, and, love Pride? and Pride? Yeah, yeah, that was a song. Yes. Soul on My Boots. Yeah, Paul King had a great mullet. I'm that sure was a good one. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. Had its time. Well, I'm going to post our, our, our favorite mullets. Okay. Our I'm favorite collage mullet. of our oh. favorite mullets. Oh, I can't wait. You, as long as you put in your wedding photo in there, that's fine. <laughs> I have better. I have even our engagement photo is an even better mullet. It's more feathery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Three more. Here we go. All right. So here we go with a. Um, we're talking one hit wonders. This is someone who. Yeah. I mean, just in L.A. I don't think this song even made a dent anywhere else. This is Scott Goddard. The song is Cow Punk. Uh, yeah, it's still it's fun. <laughs> you know, this is, this is kind of why we do this. We, we discover these songs that we completely forgot about. And yet uh, I, I, kind of, uh, I kind of still like it. It's still kind of catchy and uh, danceable and silly. That's what I want in, in pop music, right? Did you listen to it, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I, I put the playlist together and, and then let it roll around while I was like doing circuits and riding and things like that. Just, you know, 
within the house. <laughs> really nice way of catching up with these things. And uh, funny enough, the the whole notion of doing master and servant, the the, the duo uh, band. Obviously, there's a, and I'm sure there are bands that do it. They just only do one hit wonders. And if there isn't bands doing only doing one hit wonders, there should be. That's a great night out because every one hit wonder was a hit. Right. And you go, oh, this one, you know, M pop music or whatever it might be, you know. Yeah. Uh, I really like this. I think it's great, you know, because it is that it's totally kind of goofy and off the wall and kind of has a great post punk sound to it, even though it was 84 by, you know. <laughs> I would have possibly passed it by if it hadn't had that brilliant sort of Newman-style synth. Yep. It's like a kind of Gary Newman. Uh, it sounds like a sort of mix. Did you did the resident? There was a track by the residents called Seventeen. Did that? That was like a post-punk track that it, it probably only hit in the UK, and it had a kind of B52 sound to it, didn't it? And it, it was like that sort of not really my thing. But then when he mixed this weird the guitars with the synths, I was like, this is great. I think it's cool. Yeah, it was. It was. It was cool. She drives a new Thunderbird, owns a stack of credit cards. Yeah, she parties real cool. She parties real hard. I've been to Bakersfield twice and four county fairs, but I never seen a woman like that anywhere. Oh, those nights in Fillmore. Who could ask for anything more? Saw you dancing in the heat. You threw my love right out. I mean, who is Scott Goddard? What do we know about him? He, Dave, did you know he was in the surf punks? I did. I didn't do any further research on it. So, oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had no idea. Here's so, surf just another is an, an LA band that I, I yeah, no I, the surf punks are another LA band. They did like a songs called like "My Beach," "Get Off." It was just kind of like you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> they were goofy fun. So that kind of makes sense that uh, that he would do like a, a little country twinge punk song. Yeah. It's yep. fun. It's fun. And yeah, it makes perfect sense that K-Rock would uh, adapt this song as, mm-hmm. as their own and, and put it so high on, on their 1984 charts. The album was called Eleven D Billion. <laughs> <laughs> and in my notes, I just saw it when I was making notes. I said, Gary Newman, say, same thing. It sounds like the mm. intro. I made the same. Yeah, that, that kind of what wailing synth sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It gave it that kind of post-punk electronic sound to it. Yeah. It? Cow what punk. is he doing now? That's the other thing. There's a that's another series, isn't it? Where all these people are at the moment. Where yeah. he died. Did he? Oh. Yeah. He Way to bring us answer. down, Dan. By bring- oh. yes. <laughs> well, he left Liver- the legacy. But his name lives on. Here we go. That's his why we're doing We love him for it. Bless you, Scott. All right, let's move on to better things now. <laughs> uh okay, so it's Depeche Mode again. People are people, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. You, you can't argue with that. That's a statement that just stands the test of time. People are people. That's how I explain anything. Why is this going on in the world? Well, you know, people are people. All right. It's like so saying it is what it is. It, it, it's kind of exactly same, same, same idea. We're talking about, you know, people getting back out of their houses uh, after the lockdowns and just throwing their, their rubbish everywhere. And this is it. People are people. And why should it be? Yeah. I just. 
we have to talk about the lyric you and I should get along so awfully because <laughs> when they're all sat around on the sofas at the back of the studio writing this song and Martin gets the guitar out and says you and I should get along so awfully did no did no one turn around and go no 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 that is a, that's a terrible lyric uh, you know what it but it sticks in your mind and so it's it works apparently you know lyrics don't yeah. need to they don't need to make sense words were made up what are words for we, right exactly <laughs> what was it the yeah. the pot the steve miller song the pompatus of love there's no such thing That's as <laughs> the pompatus what is you know there's a guy called danny baker who's a radio host he did a phone-in of lyrics that didn't make sense oh. and you know the song jailbreak by thin lizzy of course yeah. you know yeah so tonight there's going to be a jailbreak somewhere in this town you kind of figure it's probably at the jail. Like that's I don't, I don't know. You know, just work that one out. You know, and See, it, it's just, you just say the words and you don't think about it. But of course, there's always someone who's like, "Wait a no, second, let's no. back this up." Yeah, I will for, accept any lyric you throw at me. What was that? Yeah, there was a horse with no name. For there ain't no one for to give me no pain or something like that. Like what? That's not a sentence. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it, you know it's got to fit quickly so you can get on. You don't want to stop the mu- the, the the creative muse. The whole you? thing, yeah. The hot was heat, wasn't it? That was also in that song. <laughs> That's just off the top things that I I still remember. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just crazy. All right, so Depeche Mode albums. What do you have a favorite? As long as we're talking Depeche Mode, I, I'm I'm now that I've talked to you, I have a feeling like those earlier ones are the ones that stick the most, uh, uh, stick the landing for you. I well, I tried to have a think about this for you. Obviously, I wrote down: Is it one of my top five favorite Depeche Mode songs? People are people. No, I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. And I, so I wrote down here my top five. Possibly, if I had to commit, would be <laughs> Dreaming of Me. Okay. Uh, but because, I mean, that song just, every time I hear it, it just takes me right back to when I first heard all that stuff and was like, mm, right. you know, loving it. Somebody, which, uh, did we mention Somebody? Somebody's mm-hmm. just a great song. Uh, you know, another Martin Gore, sort of slushy one. Never <laughs> Let Me Down, because if you ever go and see mm-hmm. Depeche Mode live, when they do Never mm-hmm. Let Me Down, the place goes absolutely yeah. crazy with everybody waving their arms. And it's a really mm-hmm. great... St- it was one of those songs that Depeche Mode became a stadium band and people went, oh, they aren't just this sort of synth-pop band. They're, they yeah. can fill stadiums and people will react to these big sounds, you know. Um, Personal Jesus has to be in there because it's just a brilliant track and, a you know, and mm-hmm. we love a, that shuffle stomp, you know, if you're if you're writing a song and you go for that, that meter, it's great, but it is a brilliant song as well. And of course, Johnny Cash did his version of it. And then, uh, and world in my eyes, cause you, mm-hmm. you mentioned violator possibly in the top albums and as an opening track, it's great. It's really, cause I quickly put it on. And if you listen to world in my eyes, as an opening track of an album. It's, it's very, um, what's the word? I'm trying to think what it is. It, it's very, they're just putting it out there. It's a, I'm trying to think what the word is. It's not bombastic. It's, it's one of those things like, here you go. Fucking have this, have this track. Here it is. It's the opening track of an album. I've got the world, the world in my eyes. 
And it's just like, it's so, it's so positive and it's so like, we know what we're doing here. I'm here. You know, there's, there's a, yeah. there's an element. Yeah. And them kind of going, here you go. Here's track one. Enjoy this, you know? So yeah, people are people, again, we go back to the whole thing of it was that kind of metal clanging sampling era and, and they're, they're quite trashy, those tracks, but still again, some great reward, got some great tracks on it, blasphemous rumors and things. It's such a good album, but probably not my top five. And then if we're going to get into albums, <laughs> I think yeah, Violator's got to be up there because it, it just yeah, just we could, you know not only and two brilliant radio yeah. songs, Personal Jesus and Enjoy the Silence, both songs that radio radio uh, playlists will always welcome and and put on. You know when they they just sound great coming out the radio, don't they? And then Music for the Masses got to be a great album. That's a great album produced by Dave Bascom, who obviously did Tears for Fears as well. So you've got Never Let Me Down and you've got that big set, you've got them starting to fill stadiums and, and sound, you know, I think that whole notion, Dave Garn obviously went through all his dark period because he really struggled with being in Depeche Mode and being associated with a with a teen synth band. And so, yeah, Music for the Masses. And I think they said, you know, they were taking the piss with the, with the title, weren't they? Yeah. You know, even putting the speakers on the front to sort of go, this is, you know, this is broadcast everybody. And also, um, Music for Masses got I Want You Now on, which is a brilliant track. Great track. I love that. All right. Song number 11, which is horribly uh, misplaced. I don't know why it's at 11. It should be at number one. This is uh, West End Girls <laughs> by the Pet Shop Boys. I don't understand. The greatest song of all time. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, to me, it still holds up well. But go ahead. Touch, touch on, Dan, what, uh, what this means to you and why. This is why we're talking today, I guess, is because you chose this song. I love that you you mentioned Cardi B. Yeah, Cardi B <laughs> oh. tweeted. Oh yeah, yeah, song. that's right. Cardi B tweeted. What? How come the Pet Shop Boys are so underestimated? <laughs> I'm like underestimated. <laughs> You're fucking joking, aren't you? you know. Well, being twenty and all twenty, <laughs> how old are thirty? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for her, for her kind of age group, that's kind of that's a, you can say that because other people that don't know them will go, oh really? You know. Yeah. For me, this song, there's so much to it that is right about it. Um, and uh, funny enough, I started trying to work out how to play it. I got, I got the synth and the bass line up on my keyboard in the studio because that opening chord, when you hear that opening pad, and also they've used real sounds in it. They've used the footsteps and stuff, the street sounds. I, mm. I'm a massive fan of that. I love Thomas Dolby because he does a lot of that in all his songs. He'll throw in real, real sounds and stuff in that just take you there. Also being a Londoner as well. So, you know, there's all that going on. But when you hear that opening synth, it's like, and I was just saying, you can you can taste it again. You can smell and taste the moment you were listening to that song when you were listening to it in 1984. And it's just, it's just brilliant. And it's just got that, an air to it. I mean, it is one of the most definitive 80s songs, David. As you say, it should be at number one. Call the police as a madman around 
And the, you know, the Pet Shop Boys, it's funny because kind of, you know, done some really weird stuff that's trashy and ridiculous and pompous and everything. And they use a lot of sevenths in it, the chords of minor sevenths and stuff, which have that lovely kind of smile. There's a pathos, but there's a smile to those chords. They're great pop chords as well, you know, people like Greg Alexander, who was in the New, New Radicals, you know, the, all his songs that he wrote, all big major sevens, because the, and the Beatles loved the seventh. You know, I just, it's just got a sound to it. And as soon as you hear that opening pad, I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, this is just one <laughs> of the best songs ever. And it's, the production's brilliant as well. Stephen Haig produced it, didn't he? Who's, who was like New Order and Erasure and stuff like that. And apparently there's a version that I haven't heard that was prior to this that they'd done and it had failed. And I, I haven't heard that. So it'd be mm. worth us... Try to dig that out and find it. Finest song by a duo, possibly. Could this be better than any Hollow Notes song or uh, or Simon and Garfunkel? What do you think? If you were going to list your top ten, <laughs> your your three favorite duo songs, this would be not, this would be in there, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I think, and also because um, Neil Tennant's vocals, you know, he's not the greatest singer in the world. He's got that sound to him. Yeah, he was he was an editor of Smash Hits back in the day, which was you know one of the the teen pop magazines. So he so he had a kind of grounding in pop as well. So so they knew how to they knew how to make these things, I guess. So he had a good idea of how to make them work with with um, Chris Lowe. But yeah, even the vocal, the spoken vocal, uh, you know, a, a rap. I guess back in the day, you know, we yeah. were hearing different people trying to rap, and some people nailed it, and some people really didn't nail talking on record. And wasn't this this yeah this this song went to number one here, didn't it? It was number one for a week in the U.S. <laughs> a and whole a, week. And actually, it, it in 1986, which is interesting. The reason they named the album, please. So that fans could go into the record store and say, may I have the new Pet Shop Boys album, please? <laughs> they said all their albums have all got one word, haven't they? Is yeah. that why they did that? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So yeah, that, while we go into record shops, we go back to the record <laughs> shop. Again, we're talking duos and record shops. That's that's the theme of this uh, this episode. Yeah. What is it about duos? I'm gonna, the, the master and servant thing is going to have to happen, isn't it? 100%. Oh, yes. yes. Well, thanks for working with us. This was uh, hey, no. a lot of fun. It's been lovely to see you. It's been great to see you. It's so nice to see and, you. Uh, Thank yeah, you for well, doing you know, this. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do it face-to-face in the autumn if anything comes about. Who knows? I'm counting on it. Okay, so that was the penultimate episode. We are counting down the songs 20 to 11 on this episode. But this one was really cool, uh, especially to hear the, the passion that Dan has for a lot of these songs. 
I love having Dan as a guest. He, he used to be a much more regular guest. He has so much to contribute. He's so he's knowledgeable about the music. He's passionate about the music. And it's just always fun to talk to him. And he always has great stories for us, something we didn't know. Uh, and I'm sure he could talk about the Pesh Mode on and on and on. So we finally had to cut him off. But uh, <laughs> it was it was it's always good because, yeah, I don't think there's a, I think he was the perfect guest for this week. We enjoyed it. You enjoy this episode. Where can they find us so they could hear more episodes of us? So they can hear more, more what difference does it make nonsense? You can find us on every podcast platform. You can check out our website at WDDIMpodcast.com. You can find us on social media at WDDIMpodcast. And check out our YouTube channel and subscribe. We're putting lots of behind the scenes stuff, outtakes on there. Just search for our YouTube channel. What difference does it make podcast? Uh, you can also our, our website, WDDIMpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter. And don't forget, we are a proud member of the Pantheon podcast family. So uh, check out some of their wonderful podcasts besides ours that are worth checking out as well. So until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.